Amen. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to 1 Peter's where we'll be. All right. 1 Peter, as we're studying through this book together on Sunday mornings and uh, as we find your place there, I just want to remind you the main reason behind Peter writing these epistles that bear his name. And it was found from the instruction. The reason is found from the very instruction that Jesus gave him. In Luke twenty two thirty two, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, when thou art converted, meaning when you return, when you come back, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Now, that's what these books are all about. Trying to strengthen the brethren. Trying to encourage believers. But as you think of that, the question needs to be asked, why? Why do these believers, why do these brethren at this moment need strength, need encouragement? It's because keep in mind that during this time in history, these precious believers were really going through the ringer. Uh, they were suffering greatly, great persecution, great uh, uh, torture, no doubt going to prison and even being put to death, all from the cruel hand of Nero. So they needed strength in these uncertain days. And guess what? If we were there, we would too. They needed strength. But the strength they needed was not going to come from a... Um, a uh, physical strength kind of uh, place. It wasn't going to come from a, a political strength. It wasn't going to come from a financial strength or anything like that. But the strength they needed was going to be found from the very pen of Peter as he sits down to give them great hope. A great hope to face the, tri- the fiery trials that was to try them. A hope just through the pain. Listen, just hope for the next day especially the things they were facing. This hope that we have talked about and are continuing to talk about is not just some wishful thinking. It's not I'm going to toss a a coin into a wishing well and cross my fingers and hope for the best. That's not hope. Rather, the hope that we are talking about is a confident assurance based, based or founded upon the very promises and person of God. Because throughout the first and second Peter, you will find Peter pointing these dear people and us today, to Jesus Himself. That's where our hope is found. It's found in the Lord. It's found in His Word. So I can't stress it enough to turn to the Lord for your strength and to find your, your hope. So keep all that in mind as we go throughout First and Second Peter together. All right, But as we move on this morning... We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read down through verse number 8 here in just a second. But I want you to notice with me this morning the very first word of verse number 1 of chapter 2. And on the count of three, tell me what that first word is. All right? One, two, three. Wherefore. All right. This is a fantastic word here. Uh, this word here, wherefore or therefore, and you find it in Scripture. Just know it means this. It means because of this. All right? So this means this word here is making a reference to what has previously been said. And uh, with that reference, he is drawing the reader, drawing these believers and even us today to make a decision based upon the previous conversation or based upon the previous arguments. And of course, in context here, the previous arguments that we saw a couple Sundays ago was was this. 
as Peter was pointing these dear believers, pointing them to the very fact that they have been born again, that they have been saved, that they have been forgiven, they have been washed in the red royal blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, look, look at it real quick in, in chapter number 1, starting in verse number 22. The Bible says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now listen, he is pointing back to this very fact that these individuals, they are saved people, all right? He said, you're born again, you are saved. And since he's writing to save people, since he is pointing them to a great hope that all believers are in the Lord, then he goes on to say this. Look at verse number 1, chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also... It is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe that he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Let's pray. Our Father, as we look to Your Word again this morning, I pray that You please help me. Please help me to preach the message You put upon my heart this morning because I know without You I can do nothing. Do a great work. Help us to have ears to hear, hearts to receive all that You want to do in our lives through the Word, the preaching of the Word of God. We love You. Thank You for loving us. In Jesus' name. So as Peter gets done talking about how they've been born again and how they've been saved, uh, he begins to write to them of this. He begins to talk to them about their walk. He begins to talk to them about their talk and writes to them on this subject that we kind of group all of that into one subject of this subject. All right, The subject of sanctification. Now, I want you to understand something this morning. When it comes to salvation, salvation is an instantaneous event. It, is, it takes place at the very moment when a sinner repents of their sin, repents of their unbelief and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, believes the good news of the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. At that moment when they call upon Christ to save them, that is an instant moment. Salvation is instant. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, later on in verse 13 of that same chapter of Romans, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is a promise, and salvation is instant. It is immediate. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you remember when you got saved? 
I remember it. I'm thankful for the day I got saved. I was 16 years old. I gave a little testimony already about it when a friend of ours whose dad was dying and said whether he lived or died, he was a winner either way. I had no clue where I'd go when I died. Couldn't say I'd be a winner either way. But I got all that settled that night when I called upon Jesus to save me. And that salvation was instant. It was immediate. I'm thankful for being, for being saved this morning. All because of Jesus. So salvation, it is instant. But sanctification, eh, not so much. <laughs> uh, sanctification is not instant. Rather, it's a process that begins at salvation but is not completed until glorification meaning God is not done working on me or you until we get to heaven all right Uh, God's always working on me to make me what I ought to be right you know the song he's always working on us always so here's my nut uh, uh, nutshell definition of sanctification all right sanctification is that process where God makes you more like Jesus. That's what it is. And as a process to all of that, and the entire life, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are, who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Understand it is God's will, it is purpose for you and me as believers to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what He has predestinated us to be, more like Jesus. All right, That's what He wants. That is His will for you, His will for me. So when we speak of the process of sanctification, all right, understand, God uses all kinds of different ways to make us more like Jesus Christ. Christ, such as trials, troubles, difficulties, you know, all these things that these individuals in First Peter that he's writing to were going through. God uses those times. They have a way of knocking off the rough edges. They have a way of getting the junk out of our lives. Of get, they have a way of bringing us closer to the Lord or even drawing us back to the Lord. God has a way of using these times to get us back to Him. I remember a time in my life when I was away from the Lord. I was saved, but I was away from God. And it was my senior year in high school. I remember I had plans, had my plans. You know, I wanted, I wanted to uh, uh, potentially play football in college. No, it wouldn't be a big college. It would be a small college, of course. Or, or if that wouldn't work out, I wanted to go into the military. I was thankful for a military. I wanted to go into the Marines and that kind of thing. I, I wanted, that was my plan. That was my desire. But I remember senior in high school, the last football game, the third quarter, playing at North Buncombe. I remember I uh, uh, turned to, as a pulling guard, and as I turned to, to a pull and trap a fella, uh, he went one way, I went the other, he got up, I did not. And I found out that I had some great nerve damage in my left shoulder, and because of that, my plans and dreams were shot. Couldn't play football anymore, got here like that again, I'd be a vegetable. And so I went to the, my recruiter, and I said, I can't play football, I'm coming to you. He said, why can't you play football? And I told him, he said, we can't take you either. I said, I thought you took everybody. You're even taking one of my close friends, and he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, man. Come on. And I thought you took everybody. He said, no, that's too much of a liability. We can't take you. And so my plans were shot. You know what I had to do after that moment? 
I get a job. It was awful. My plans were gone, you know. But in that moment, I didn't realize what God was doing. I didn't realize that God in that, that time, going through that trouble, through that confusion, that God would one day use that even moment to draw me closer to Him. That would lead to me surrendering to preach. The rest is history. But God uses these times in our lives that do not feel good, times that are troublesome, times that are, that are very difficult to draw us to Himself and to make us more like Him. So when it comes to this subject this morning, when it comes to this subject of sanctification, please know, sanctification, we talk about that, is not this. It's not, are you perfect? <laughs> None of us are. But rather it's this. Are you progressing? Are you progressing? Are you becoming more like Jesus? A little bit, every single day, every single week, every single month. Because I want you to know something. We all have a next spiritual step to take. We all do. And those that have been saved, never baptized, that's their next spiritual step, to be baptized. Uh, those that have never been born again, your step that you need to take is to trust Jesus as your Savior. But we all have a step to take. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for an hour or a hundred years. We all have our next step to take on this journey with the Lord. Because we ain't there yet. You can say amen right there. So let's consider that subject this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and let you know as a big old front porch of an introduction. And we'll only get to point number one this morning, okay? But just keep this in mind as we look at this, that God was using the things that were happening in their lives to bring them closer to Himself. So as we consider the subject of the process of progress or subject of sanctification, I want to consider this. Number one, we need to do this. You ready? Number one, from verse number one, depart daily, all right? Depart daily. Again, look at verse number one. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Now, keep in mind, Peter, he is dealing with believers, right? We, we've established that is why the, the word wherefore is there. He is dealing with people who know Jesus as their Savior, folks who are born again. But when you read words like malice and guile and hypocrisies, and envies and evil speaking. When you read these words, we don't always automatically connect those with those individuals who know Jesus as Savior. Or a lot of times, rather, when we read these verses, we'll think of, of maybe Peter's writing to, you know, uh, the children of the devil, not the children of God. Or maybe he's speaking of those that are lost and not of those that are saved. But, but understand, Peter, in this moment, he is not talking to lost people. He's talking to saved people. He is talking to people who know Jesus. He is talking to believers. He is saying, listen, you that are blood washed, that crowd who have been saved, you need to cut this stuff out and you need to do it now. You need to get this out of your life. You need to lay aside. You need to depart from this type of behavior because it's going on in your heart and life. Now again, as someone reads this, this verse and compares this verse to what's going on in the historical context of the day uh, with the strong persecution where believers are dying and you, 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 you compare this verse to what's going on, one may ask, why in the world is Peter asking these believers and commanding them rather to 
lay aside, to put aside, to depart from these things. I mean, after all, he needs to cut them a little slack, does he not? Does he not understand what they're going through? Does he not understand what they are facing? Does he not know there are other things he could talk about and write about with what they're struggling with? I mean, where's the comfort? Oh, where's the grace? Where's the encouragement? Peter, where's the hope? As your president would say, come on, man. Where's this going on here, you know? But he's, he's, people could say, what in the world are you talking about here, Peter, at this moment? Well, listen, if you and I are honest with ourselves, we all must agree that during those troublesome times of life, those testing times of life, when everything around you is absolutely falling apart, they can do one of two things. The first thing you can do is they can bring out the best in us. Yes? There's been some good things come out of troubled times that you didn't know were in you. If there's anything good that comes out of you, it's because of the Lord. Amen. All right? But it can bring the best out of us. And unfortunately, majority of the time, it brings out the worst in us. So it can bring out the best or it can bring out the worst. Let me ask you a question here. I think I know the answer since we are all Baptist here. But who here likes tea? And the only tea, before you say which one, the only tea that matters is Amen. Sweet tea. All right, where you got like five parts sugar, one part water, something like that, right? And a little bit of tea. But anyway, who here likes tea? Anybody? Awesome. So besides just needing sugar to make some amazing sweet tea, you know what else you need to make some good tea? You need tea. That's right. You need tea bags, right? And I've got a couple of those this morning. And uh, no, it's not, it's not sweet tea, so you have to forgive me, all right? And uh, so I got some different tea uh, this morning, some English Earl Grey black tea, all right? And if you like this, you can drink it later. I'll leave it up here for you under the pulpit, okay? But, uh, but to make some good tea, you would take out the tea bag, correct? Yes? Everybody makes tea? You take, okay, okay, just making sure I do the steps right. All right, so we take out the tea bag, and then we put it in, let's do this. We want tea, so i got to have a tea bag. Let's pretend all the sugar's in there already, up to the top. All right, It dissolves, it's fine. So we take the tea, we put it in there, and boom! i got tea. That's not how it works. But i got tea in this bag, but how do I get the tea out of the bag? I need some hot water, to be more specific. You know why you need some hot water? And these tea bags, so you got to get the tea out. Because what's on the inside has got to come out. And so, let's see. I think it's still pretty hot. Oh, yeah, it's still pretty hot. Okay. It was clear. Now it's becoming not so much. It's becoming more tea, all right? Because what's in that bag there is coming out into the water. But you can't just have a bag of tea in a cup and expect tea to come out. No, no, no. You've got to put it in some hot water. I want you to understand something. The same is with us. What's on the inside needs to come out, and for that to happen, sometimes we've got to find ourselves in some hot water. We've got to find ourselves in the heat, so to speak, because what's on the inside of our lives, those moments will come out. And understand, Jesus 
will allow those times to come. He will allow yourself to find yourself in some hot water at times so that those unholy things that we have inside of us will be brought to the surface. And so we have to deal with them. You can't keep covering them up because Jesus already brought it to light. And we've got to deal with those unholy things in our life, again, for the purpose of getting them out of our life. Remember, it's a process of progress. So sanctification and these first century believers were no different. They were facing hardships, pain, trials, persecutions. Yes, some were being uh, hauled off to prison, tortured, and even put to death. Listen, we would say they were in some hot water. And as they faced them, as they were in that great pain, as they faced the hot water, as Peter called it later on, the fiery trials, which is to try them, guess what happened? What was on the inside came out. What were some of those things? Verse 1 tells us how they lashed out, how they were hypocritical, how they spoke evil, how they spoke wrong. Listen, they began to give in to that old man, that flesh, as, as Paul would call it, that carnal man. And Peter, he knows all about that too. Remember, the apostle Peter, he knows all too well what they're going through personally and how they're reacting personally. Remember, what did he do when he himself found himself out of fire in the outer court of the palace as Jesus was on trial. Do you remember? Hey, do you remember what happened when the heat was turned up in his life? When someone said, aren't you? Yeah. You're one of his disciples. Oh yeah. You were with him in Galilee. Oh, you're one of them. But Peter, as he was put in the fire there, responded in full fear and denied the Lord three times. And that last denial, he cursed and lashed out. It sounds a lot like what he's dealing with here in verse number 1, with hypocrisies, evil speaking. So Peter, he knows what happens when the heat is turned up. He knows what happens when you're placed in hot water. He knows what's going on. Because, well, he himself lived it. He knows it's easier to lash out. He knows it's easier to have a heart full of, full of malice and guile. He knows it's easier to turn back to the old flesh. He knows it's easier to do all that. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. He knows. So with all that in mind, knowing what they're facing and going through, Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sits down and writes to them, uh, uh, to them appealing to their will and commanding them to Lay, up, lay aside these things. Depart from these things. This word here, lay aside, in verse number 1, it carries the idea of throwing away, of putting it aside, and never be taken up again. Lay it aside. But what was it that he told them to lay aside? Number 1, lay aside. Look at it, verse number 1. Laying aside all malice. What in the world is malice? We hear it a little bit, maybe in the court system, somebody that was uh, accused of malicious intent. That might be the extent of our, of our knowledge of malice. But malice, I'm telling you, that word, oh, it's, it's quite scary. I'm telling you, it is. Once you finally start to understand just a little bit about it, because this means, malice means it's an ill will. It is a desire. It is a intent desire to inflict injury and bodily harm. It is a wickedness 
that is not ashamed to break laws. I don't care what the law says. I'm going to do this. That's malice. And this malice here that they were, that they were guilty of, it has to do more with their wrath at this time. And no doubt these believers, they were very angry in this context in which he was writing, historical context in which he was writing. Because of the fiery trials. Listen again, they have their way of bringing out the best and the worst. And sometimes the worst, oh, it's anger, is it not? It's anger. I'm telling you, it can bring it out of us. So maybe at this time in history, as these believers were facing horrendous persecution, maybe they've seen their families Friends taken to prison. They've seen them beaten. They've seen them tortured. And maybe they've even seen them killed right before their very eyes. And with all this going on, they wanted to get even. They wanted to inflict pain back on those that inflicted pain upon them. They wanted to hurt the very ones that have hurt them. And they didn't care what the law said. They didn't care if they had to break it or not. Listen, this, what was in Their heart. What was it? Malice. And it would seem it's already coming out if Peter has to write to them and says, hey, hey, stop it. Put that aside. Don't let this take hold of you laying aside all malice. This malice was found. No, not in the cruel heart of Nero. No doubt it was there. But as Peter's writing, it was found in the heart of these dear believers. And again, Peter knows all about malice and getting even and not caring about the law. Again, he experienced that himself. You remember when they were taking Jesus? The 600 Roman soldiers come to take Jesus. And one of the high priest's servants put hands on Jesus. What did Peter do? Drew a sword and cut off the ear of Malchus. Malchus, he was just a good ducker. He was going for the head, all right? He wasn't cutting his ear off. He's going to cut his head off. So he knows what malice is. He's experienced it himself. And so maybe at this very moment, at this time, he knows this. He knows what's in their hearts. And he's saying, listen, lay it aside. Lay aside that desire to get even. Lay aside that thirsting in your flesh to make someone else feel the very pain that you're feeling now. Lay it aside. Stop it. There's no room for, for your, in your life for this. Please do not. Do this. And as he is commanding it, he's also appealing to their will. He can't make them do something they don't want to do, but he's encouraging them, commanding them to lay it aside. Don't give in to it. Stop it. Stop it. You know, there are some great individuals in Scripture who uh, are great examples of laying aside malice. And as I was thinking even this morning, uh, this individual came, came to mind. Of Joseph. Of course, we know Joseph in the Old Testament. We know how his family treated him, his own brothers. Bless their heart, plan to kill him. And of course, one of the older ones said, No, let's not do that in case we get in trouble and, uh, with daddy. You know, let's do this instead. Let's sell him. And we'll, we'll, we'll fake his death and say it was some wild beast that came and tore him to shreds. And we'll make up some crazy story like that. <laughs> so I guess they had some kind of pity, some kind of compassion on him and sold Joseph instead of killing him. But they sold him to some merchants going to Egypt. And those merchants sold them to Potiphar. While Joseph was in the house of Potiphar, he worked very hard and very, very diligent and God blessed the work of his hands and therefore God blessed 
Yes, while he was there, even the household of Potiphar, but in that moment, Potiphar's wife daily pressed upon him with her words, trying to commit immorality with him. And finally, she grabbed a hold of his coat, said, lie with me. What did he do? He said, no, forget you, Jezebel, I'm out of here. Paraphrasing, of course, all right? He said, no way, Jose, and he left and fled, ran away. And of course, Potiphar, she lied about what was really going on, said he tried to, he tried to assault me, and that was a big fat lie. But it cost him prison time. He was in prison for a long time, several, several years. But eventually, over a period of time, the Lord elevated him to second in command. And with the process of time, through interpreting dreams of Pharaoh, the process of time being second in command, there did come a famine. And uh, his brothers and family back, back in uh, Israel area, they began to be unhungered. They were starving. As they came to Egypt, the bread basket of the world at the moment, to get and buy some bread. But they didn't know the guy they were talking to to buy bread was their actual long-lost brother. I don't know about you. I'd be really tempted. Mm. Being second command of the greatest and most powerful country at that time in Egypt, be really tempted to, you know what? I'm going to show them what for. To have malice creep up in your heart and life and really give it to him. He did a little cat and mouse game with him a little bit, but finally, over a little bit of time, he did reveal himself to his brothers. And they were terrified, rightly so. <laughs> they knew what they had done. But instead of responding with malice, what did Joseph do? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 20 through 21. Joseph speaking to his brothers, he says, But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. They had to be scared to death. Oh, the tables have turned, have they not? They were scared to death. He said, but look, don't, don't be afraid. And listen to these words that came from the very lips of Joseph. He says, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Could Joseph, yes or no, could Joseph have responded in malice and had them killed immediately? Yes or no? Yeah. He could have had them executed on the spot and those Egyptian soldiers wouldn't have thought nothing of it. They'd have buried him back in the backside of the desert in the sand and it would have been over. They didn't respond that way. Instead, he laid malice aside. He laid that, that potential evil that's on all of us to get even. He laid that aside and responded appropriately, and favorably, comforted them, and spake kindly unto them. My friend, this morning, I want to ask you, will you not do the same? Lay it aside. Lay aside that malice that is absolutely eating at you. Lay it aside. 
But you might be thinking, but preacher, you don't know what they have done to me. You, you don't know the pain that I have felt and I have experienced because of this individual. You don't know the anxiety that's in my heart and mind day in and day out because of what they have done. You don't know. You're right, I don't. I don't. But God does. His Word never changes. And he still, as we read in 1 Peter chapter one, or chapter 2, verse number 1, as these individuals are going through some horrendous times, and yes, they wanted to get even. Yes, they wanted to lash out. Yes, they may have even wanted to kill people for killing their own family. Yes, they had malice. But the command is still there. Hey, lay it aside. Malice does not look good on a born-again, born-again believer. Getting even does not look good on a child of God. Because that's not who Jesus is. Remember the process of progress, the sanctification. What, God, what does God want? He wants us to be more like His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no malice in the Lord. Therefore, lay it aside. And the best way to lay it aside is to lay it at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus. Lay it at His feet. He already knows you angry. He already knows you want to get even. He already knows what's in your heart. He knows. He sees it. Not everybody gets to see it, but God does. He knows it all. Good, bad, ugly, everything. He knows it. So you might as well bring it to Him. And tell Him, Lord, I, I don't want this in my life. I don't want the consequences that it will bring. And so we must lay it aside, listen, never to take it back up again. That's what the word lay aside means. You lay it down. Don't pick it back up. So the only way to do that, the only place to put it, is at the feet of Jesus. That's what Joseph had to do. He said, look, you meant this evil. That was your intent. But that was His focus was not on his brothers. His focus was on God, but God meant it unto good. That was his focus. He laid it at the feet of God, no doubt. We need to do the same. So again, I don't know what you're facing going through. I don't. I know some of you are really going through it though. Whether somebody intently or unintentionally may have hurt us, do not let malice creep into your life and in your heart. You regret those decisions that you'll, be, that you'll make because of it. Therefore, lay it aside. We've got a lot of other things to look at in that verse alone of laying things aside. But this one right here, I don't think it's first by accident. Because this is a big one. In that list of things that he writes about in, in, in the second chapter of verse 1, that's a big one. I'm telling you, the depths of malice, it just knows no end. But if you can start there and get rid of that, and the other ones get a little bit easier. Don't let malice rule your heart and mind. Lay it aside.